uh, turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, and I'll be reading verses 31, uh, excuse me, 37 through uh, 47. John chapter 8. John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verses 37 through 47. Hear the word of God. John chapter 8, beginning at verse 37. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would not do, you would do, excuse me, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, We were not born of fornication. We have one Father, God. Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but He sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. Amen. Amen. And thus far... In this chapter, we have that magnet, just the, that declaration of Jesus that He is the light of the world, and it is by means of His testimony that men can know who God is. They can be brought out of darkness and into the light. And then He proves to them why they should believe Him, because He came from God. And He talks about the necessity of believing His testimony, why they must believe. If they don't believe, they will die in their sins. And he gives the consistency of his testimony. I've been telling you this from the very beginning. And then the climax of his testimony, of course, is going to be the cross when he is lifted up. And the effect of this, the effect of his testimony, last week then we began to look at the bondage 
The issue of bondage and liberty. Those who live in sin are in bondage to it. And the only way to be free is to believe in the Son. This morning, we have in the verses that we will cover, which is not all of these verses. (laughs) Um, It it rhymes this way, but, but declaration and dissent. By declaration, what I mean is here, there, there is evidence that a person is not a believer. There's evidence. There's clues. And then he addresses the issue of dissent, which is where they come from. So there's, there's some evidence that Jesus gives first. Whether these who had believed in him, remember that was the language that was used in John. If you look at John, just uh, chapter 8 and verse 30. As he spoke these words, many believed in him. So you would think, great, right? Great evangelistic endeavor, now let's baptize them and make them members of the church. And Jesus says, hold your horses, buddy. Hold your horses. He says to them, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And with, with that word, which is truth, Jesus was speaking the truth. He was not being offensive. He was declaring to them the way to freedom. They take great offense. And now this discussion develops. And we're at this point here. They had previously made this statement to Jesus. Look with me at verse uh, 36. Uh, Excuse me, uh, 33. They made this statement. We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? What are you talking about? We're descendants of Abraham. And again, we recounted their history. They must have forgotten. They were slaves in Egypt. They must have forgotten their bondage in Babylon and so on and so forth. And how easily we forget our bondage to sin and the slavery that we once lived in. But Jesus says, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And now here in verse 37, he says, I know that you are descendants of Abraham. I know that. But there's, there's some evidence here. You, you, by the way that you're acting, you are declaring something about yourself. And it is the same for us today. Right? So if... Uh, you know, I, I, I first walk into the church, to a church, and, you know, I begin to speak to Fernando, and I notice he has a small accent. <laughs> and I talk to him in Spanish, and he responds, right? The, in, in his uh, accent, there's a declaration, right? There's a little bit of evidence. You know, he's a Spanish speaker. He's from somewhere uh, in, in, uh, in Latin America somewhere. Yeah, yeah, for, for the, that's true. He is primarily from Kerhunkson. Um So there's evidence here. There, there is some evidence. Now let's see what it is. I know you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me. 
They're, they're going to try to stone him at the end of this chapter because of the things that he's saying. And they had already tried to lay hands on him. And here's the reason, though. Here's the reason. That their actions, right, they're acting hostile towards the Son of God. Any hostility in the world against the church. Now, granted, the church that is faithful to the Lord Jesus and is declaring his gospel, any hostility against the church in the world, this hostility towards Jesus. I've, I've cited it several times. You know the passage in the book of Acts when God, when the Lord Jesus himself confronts Paul, what does he say to Paul on the road to Damascus? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? As he is breathing out murderous threats and trying to persecute and destroy the church. So this is happening in the world, this, this kind of pers- this hatred of Jesus You would think that when the Son of God stepped down from heaven, the sinless man, as he says, which of you convicts me of sin? Nobody said me. When the sinless Son of God stepped into the world to be the only mediator between God and men, what did they do? When they were able to lay their hands on him, they crucified him. They spit on him. They pulled his beard out of his face. They hated him. And the world continues in this vein, of course. But here's the reason, and this is, this is uh, important for us. My word has no place in you. The way that he said it back in verse 31, which we just read, when they said, when, when there was a statement that they believed in him, he says, if you abide in my word, if you continue in it, That's what it means. If you continue to believe what I have said to you, you are my disciples indeed in truth. And here what he is saying is that the reason, I, I know it's not just your actions. Your actions are telling. And the, uh, the reason is, of course, that you do not receive my words. You do not believe my words. And this, this really is a, the barometer, right? Whether whether a person is a Christian or not, what do you do with the words of God, with his teaching, with the scriptures? Do you believe in them? Do you trust in God's word? Or is it something that is irrelevant to you? I had this, uh, and still do, Um, this is anecdotal, but I'm pretty sure that everyone here can resonate with this. There are songs that I learned when I was like in, you know, fifth grade, elementary school that I still remember. Some of them harmless, some of them absolutely godless, but they're in there somewhere. And sometimes I'm, I'm somewhere and somebody is playing it in their car and I'm in traffic and I just, I remember the entire song, it's there. But yet with the scriptures, there's, there's always this difficulty in meditating and in memorizing and in paying attention to sermons, there's always this battle. Of course, that's the battle that Paul paints for us in Romans 7. There's this constant back and forth and struggle with uh, doing what Jesus says, abiding in his word. Well, the unbeliever completely disregards it. He sees no value in it. For the unbeliever, the word of God is it's utterly worthless. It's completely worthless. 
But look at the attitude of the psalmist. Listen to his attitude in Psalm 119. I'll read, we could read the whole psalm because really it's just uh, an exaltation in various ways of the word of God, but very applicable here, verses 33 through 40. And we're taking this from that, that, that idea that Jesus, as he declared, because my word has no place in you. We don't want any of it. But the heart of the believer inclines in this way. Listen to Psalm 119, beginning at verse 33. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall keep it to the end. There's that desire in the heart for God. Lord, show me your ways. Or as it says in verse 18, Lord, open my eyes. That's the desire of the heart. We want to know his word because it is in this word that he reveals himself to us. It's not in our feelings. It's not in popular culture. It's not in psychiatry or psychology. No, God reveals himself to his people in his word. And this is one of the reasons why the world counts Christians and Christianity as foolishness because we choose to base our life upon the scriptures. In verse 34, give me understanding and I shall keep your law. Indeed, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Jesus is not saying to these Jews merely, he's not merely saying to them, memorize the Bible. But there ought to be a dependence in the life of the believer upon the word of God because it is the word of God. And that attitude is modeled here. You see, he's not exulting in the fact that he knows the word, but he desires to know it so much that it turns into a prayer, his pleading for understanding it. And then for the power. Make me walk in the path of your commandments. Why? Because they are a drudgery, for I delight in it. That's the heart of the Christian. He has a delight for the word of God. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to covetousness. Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. Establish your word to your servant who is devoted to fearing you. Turn away my reproach, which I dread, for your judgments are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me in your righteousness. The reason they wanted to kill Jesus is because this was not the disposition of their heart. And this is what we ought to pray. Or we, we, ought to, we ought to pray this for our uh, spouses who aren't Christian, for our children who may not be Christian. These are the things we ought to be praying. Lord, incline their heart this way. May they desire God's word. And if you're sitting here and you're thinking to yourself, well, I'm not a believer. These are the things that you ought to be praying. You ought to take the book of Psalms in hand and, and even Psalm 119 and just pray through that psalm and ask God to give you those things the psalmist asks for. So, 
they declare by their deeds that his word has no place in them. And apart from the word of God, you cannot have life. You need it. Yet, there's more. Jesus says to them, I speak what I have seen with my Father. And we've seen this throughout the Gospel of John. The Son, right, the eternal Son of God, comes from heaven. He had this eternal communion with the Father, and He knows all things the Father knows. And God sent Him into the world to communicate those things, to reveal God to man, as it says in John 1.18, right? He came to declare God to man. Therefore, He speaks the words of the Father, and you do what you have seen with your father, Jesus says. What's he implying there? Or maybe not implying, but saying straightforward. God's not your father. And we can work backwards here. God's not your father because my word has no place in you. And because of the way, because of the things that you're doing. Particularly in this context, you're trying to kill me. Now Jesus says to them, if you were children of Abraham, you would do the works of Abraham. Now remember, remember this, verse 37, I know that you are Abraham's descendants. I know that. But you're not his children. And he's making a very, uh, a very clear distinction there. The fact that you descend from the line of Abraham does not mean that you are children of Abraham. The fact that you grow up in a Christian home doesn't mean that you're a Christian. You know, the fact that you attend a, a Reformed Baptist church or a Dutch Reformed church or a Presbyterian church or the church of a popular pastor of the, or a church of a not popular pastor. It doesn't matter. Those things do not matter. And because as Paul says in Romans chapter 2, he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. And we revel in that. And we, lo we love that. We, we love the, uh, the um, external testimony. Right? Now it's good, as I was saying, even during our worship through giving, that we uh, uh, corporately and individually declare that we believe in God by gathering for public worship. It's very good for us to proclaim uh, God's name in evangelistic conversations, over the dinner table, over the fence with our neighbors, whatever it is. Th those, those things are good. And, you know, it's, it's even good for you to, you know, post pictures of the Christian books that you're reading on Facebook and show everybody your library, and, right? That's not, not a bad thing in and of itself, but we get so focused on these externals. And even as Eric was saying in his Sunday school class, that that becomes our barometer. Well, this guy's, this guy's a believer because of all these external things. But Jesus cuts to the heart. Yes, there will be external evidence. There's, there's, we can declare that we are believers of God by the way that we live. The same way an unbeliever can declare he's not a believer by the way that he lives. 
But really, this is an issue of the heart. And that's what he's dealing with here, Jesus. In Romans uh, 2, that I cited from earlier, in Romans 2.29, Paul continues and he says, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. It's, it's, a, it's a heart issue. It's, it's this receiving or taking the word of God and abiding in that word that proves that a person is a disciple. And as I said a few weeks ago, a disciple is the name that was given to those who followed Jesus before they were even called Christians. They were called Christians later. This, this is a heart issue. The reason men hate the Lord Jesus Christ is because they are not children of God. And it is the Spirit that gives life. They need the Spirit of God. And, the, and God uses His Word by the power of His Spirit to make men alive and to keep them for Himself. So what does dissent matter? Well, I mean, it, it, it's good for something. In Romans chapter 9, Paul declares it. Look, they were, the Jews had the oracles of God. They received the promises, all of these great and wonderful things. But they didn't believe any of them. So what does it matter? What does it matter if you have this rich heritage? Well, what... what uh, um, we ought to be the kinds of parents who pray for our children, who plead for our children, who model and example what it means to be a Christian. But if they refuse to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, what benefit is it to them? In Romans 4, Paul picks this up also. And he says this, For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. The promise to Abraham that he would be an heir of the world was an issue of faith, believing the word of God. That's the contrast here between law and righteousness of faith. The law is external. It's, it's outside. Right? It's, it's, it's written on tablets of stone. It's not in the heart For if those who were, and I'm still reading from Romans here, Romans 4.14. For if those who were of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise of no effect. This is a side note, application, right? This is, a, well, an excursus. This is an excursus. If, uh, if baptized children... If baptized children are heirs of the promise, faith is made void and the promise is of no effect. It is essential for a person to believe to be an heir of the promises of God. And you can't have like vicarious faith. It doesn't work that way. So uh, I, I forget who, who, who wrote it. But, uh, or who said this, what we ought to be doing to our children is not bringing them to the font. We don't bring them to water. We bring them to Jesus. Therefore, 
It is not of faith that it might be, therefore it is of faith that it might be according to grace. This discussion that Jesus is having with these Jewish people is, is not, he is, he is not telling them to be right with God by means of some merit or work, by abiding in the word. Uh, you, if you abide in the word, that's how you get saved. No. That's a declaration. Those that abide in the word, God has done a work of grace in their heart and in their life, and they've been in, enlivened and uh, awakened. They are born again. Not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. You want to be a son of Abraham? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in him. And then you become an heir of the world. What an inheritance. That, that, right? that, that, that is when, when see, this is, Paul, this is how Paul reads the Old Testament. Paul sees God coming to Abraham and saying, hey, I'm going to give you the land of Canaan. And Paul says, oh, he was promising Abraham the world, the entire world. So, uh, uh, so the, the, the church here, we own this property, right? So the kids who come to this church will get to enjoy this little creek back here if they want to during the summer, right? And some of you maybe have enjoyed this creek, right? Or gone sledding down the hill or whatever it is. God says to believers, he says, he says your inheritance, part of it, is the entire world. All of it is yours. It will be your playground to enjoy if you have the faith of Abraham. So their declaration, they declared that they did not follow God by the way they responded to the Son of God. And you, did, you, you do that yourself. The way that you respond to the Son of God is evidence of your faith in Him or not. And the reason is, of course, the rejection of His word. They refuse to have any part of it. Because they trusted in their descent, the externals, the outside things. And Jesus says, that is worthless to you. If you were children of Abraham, you would do the works of Abraham, which is believe. That is the work that Abraham did. He trusted God. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. In Romans 9, 7, Paul puts it this way. He says, Nor are they children because they are the seed of Abraham. And that's the same word that Jesus affirms, this word descendant in verse 37. Neither are they the seed because they are children of Abraham. But God chooses 
God is the one who imparts and gives life. And how does he do it? How does faith come? Faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. Do you see how this entire discussion, this, this entire discussion that Jesus is having with the Jews in John chapter 8 is part of Paul's exposition in Romans chapter 9? That the ultimate issue is faith. And how does faith come? Faith comes by the hearing of the word of God. So, brothers and sisters, as we sit here this morning considering the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and his declaration, this conversation really started from it, that he is the light of the world. What is our duty? What is our responsibility as God's people? Our responsibility is to abide in his word, to continue in it, to meditate upon it, to internalize it, to declare it to those who do not believe, to pray it for them. And in this way, we will do the works of Abraham. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time this morning in your word. And we ask that you would use it, that you would work in us by your spirit. Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts and minds that understand. And may we abide, may we be a people who abide in your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen.